When I was growing up, I had one younger brother, <clears throat> and uh, when we were kids, our dad had a strange habit. Um, he, he used to love exploring graveyards. Um, it wasn't that he was morbid, far from it. Um, what, what, what he essentially used to love to do was to try and find unusual comments on people's gravestones, and he was very pleased with himself if he found an unusual one or something quite pithy or poetic. Uh, you can learn a lot from epitaphs, and there have been some hilarious ones. I don't, I don't know if this is uh, working, so we try. No, you do it. Someone needs to put a battery on that, I say it every week. <laughs> um, here's one. Uh, here lies my wife. Here let her lie. Now she's at rest, and so am I. I don't know, that was a naughty chat, wasn't it? Just to balance things out, here's one that I don't think is intended to be funny. Um, she lived with her husband for 50 years and died in the confident hope of a better life. I think that was meant to refer to the resurrection, but it kind of sounds like, um, yeah, she'd had a hard life. Um, I was chatting to Mo a little bit this week about this whole idea and um, asking about Iranian culture a little. And Mo showed me this uh, tombstone um, and the translation next to it. Apparently this guy is a very famous Iranian poet. And th this one is less of a comment on the person, but more of a piece of advice to anyone who might come to pay their respects, I suppose. Very poetic. If you come to see me, come gently and softly, lest you crack my fragile solitude. That's very poetic, isn't it? Um, my all-time favourite, though, was one widowed young lady who used her husband's tombstone to advertise her availability. And this is what it says. Sacred to the memory of Mr. Jared Bates, who died on August the 8th, 1800, his widow, aged 24, who moans as one who can be comforted, lives at 7 Elm Street in this village and possesses every qualification for a good wife. That's quite brilliant, isn't it? I wonder whether she was successful. I wonder what epitaph you would like to have over your life. How would you want people to remember you? And what sentence or phrase would you use to sum up your life? We, we read today a very unusual passage, uh, very well read by Helen from Genesis 5 here. We don't often read Bible genealogies because what they sound like is a long list of names. And uh, this one is even stranger to our modern ears because of the ages of some of the people involved. I'm not going to dwell on that, but come and talk to me afterwards if that's something you feel the need to pick up on. But right in the middle of this genealogy, this list of names, is what you might call an epitaph over someone's life. It's actually said twice to emphasise it. It's found in verse 22, and there's a man there called Enoch, and we're told very simply, and here's the epitaph over his life, he walked with God 
This was the striking definition of his life. He walked, it says here in this version, he walked faithfully with God. This is now the second of our four-week series um, where we're thinking about Christianity being a new life. Last week we were thinking about having a new identity and we were thinking about the idea of standing. This, uh, this afternoon we're, we're going to see that Christianity is essentially not just about a new identity but a new relationship. And this picture that the Bible uses of walking is essentially one that pictures the idea of relationship. He walked with God. So you'll see on the program there, we've got three uh, simple questions essentially to think about. What does it mean, first of all, to walk with God? We'll explore that. And then what are some of the reasons that we might not do this? We'll think about that in the middle. And then finally, we'll have a brief look at the question of how do we ourselves in our lives walk with God? So first of all, what is walking with God? Three Ps. The first one is partnership. The truth is, I think, um, that in the history of walking, no one has ever gone for a willing walk with their enemy. They might be forced to do it. You just don't walk with your enemy. When you walk, you walk with someone that you're friends with. In the Old Testament prophet book, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, the prophet says this very thing, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. You, you, you can't walk with someone unless you're friends with them. So walking with, this idea of walking with God immediately implies something of friendship with God. And I only use the word partnership because it began with P fitted with the other P's, but uh, friendship with God. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that right at the start of the Bible, we're told that the Lord walked with humans in the Garden of Eden. The Lord must have appeared in some physical manifestation of them and walked with them in the Garden. But we're told that after Adam and Eve sinned, when they heard the Lord God coming to walk with them in the garden, their instinct was to hide. They were ashamed. They felt guilty. And what had previously been a sweet pleasure and delight was now a frightening prospect because something had come between them. It wasn't God who caused the breakup, but yet God still took the initiative in reaching out to them. And I want to suggest on some level that the whole story of the Bible essentially is one of reconciliation. God taking the initiative to restore relationship. And of course, the great practical demonstration of that is God sending his son. God becoming one of us. God coming into his creation to visit us. God the Father sending God the Son into the world. And it is almost as if 
in God's economy that Jesus holds our hand and holds God's hand and joins the two together. There's reconciliation found in Christ. So walking with God is therefore daily friendship with God and Enoch walked with God. Secondly, purpose. I think the second thing about walking is that when you're walking, you're not standing still, but you're going somewhere. Um, there's, there's direction and progress. Walking with God is not drifting or walking around in circles. So I think this, this, this idea of walking describes a relationship that involves growth, that deepens and matures through all the ups and downs of life. In the Old Testament, there's a wisdom book called Proverbs. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, the path of the righteous, that again, the hint towards walking, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. I love the image there of increasing light, almost increasing happiness, progress. This is something that gets better over the years. It implies, as the NIV here hints, a, a kind of committed faithfulness. Life like this, walking with God, implies a commitment there's something here about facing life, holding hands with God. You, you'll remember in Psalm 23, very famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. In there, there's a verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. There's a sense in which God doesn't fly us over the valley of the shadow of death in a helicopter. He condescends to stoop down and hold our hand as we put one foot in front of the other and walk through the valley. Walking with God, therefore, implies purpose, progress. And so Enoch walked with God. What about pleasure? I think by this, uh, I'm hinting at the fact that this is an incredible privilege. It involves familiarity, affection, intimacy. I came across a quote from an old writer thinking about this verse. He said this, we consider those as honourable who associate with great men on earth. But the Christian has higher company than earthly monarchs. He walks with God himself. And God is not ashamed to call him his friend. Sometimes on Facebook or Instagram, people will post selfies of themselves with a famous person. Um, and we, we, we have this buzz, don't we, when someone we know meets someone famous. But what about this? Enoch walked with God. 
Another psalm of David. David touches on this. Psalm 138. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. There's a wonderful mystery in the Bible in the way that God reveals himself to mankind as, on the one hand, utterly transcendent, infinite in his eternal nature, so other compared to his creatures, and yet he also reveals himself as personable and near and knowable he is the lord of lords the king of kings the high and lofty holy one the great creator all-knowing all-powerful infinite and mysterious and yet he condescends to be our father our joy our shelter and refuge, our hope, our strength. I think there's something here too. There's a lot of concern in our modern society, quite rightly, about abusive relationships where there's power differentials and the power in the relationship is misused and the relationship becomes toxic and abusive. But here is a relationship in which God does not use his infinite power to coerce and control or abuse, but to protect and empower. Walking with God is not slavery, but freedom. God is not a bully, but the source of our dignity. Those who walk with him are not unhappy or restricted or limited, but enabled by him to blossom and flourish as human beings were intended to blossom and flourish. So Enoch walked with God. This is describing friendship, growth, and the happiest, most honorable and fulfilling of lives. There's a little glimpse of what walking with God, what this phrase kind of represents, conjures up. Secondly, why why might we not do it? There are lots of reasons why Enoch might not have walked with God. He could have said he was too busy. And I suppose someone could think, that to be a true Christian, somehow you need to stop the world and get off. You know, you, the, the pathway is one of retreat and silence and meditation. One day I'll find the path if I just had enough time on my own to think. And sometimes it is good, of course, to stop and think. There's no, no, we don't have a lot of silence in our lives and it's a good thing for us to stop. But I don't think there is any hint here that Enoch was some kind of monk who dropped out of real life so that he could walk with God instead. He was a normal man, 
he was busy, and I think it seems especially busy with his family. And I just want to pause there. So, sometimes it can be possible for our good and healthy love for our families to become not so good if it makes us too busy to walk with God. Look at this text again. It says that Enoch became a father at 65 years. And after he became a dad, it says that he later had other sons and daughters in the plural. So that means by my mass, he must have had at least five kids, probably more. I I know a little bit what that feels like, but I I think maybe Enoch beat us. Um, I, I think this guy was a busy guy, but none of it stopped him from walking with God. Isn't it true that sometimes we can live our lives as parents to please our children? When actually we need to be teaching them to please their parents. As a sidebar here, it can sometimes be the case too that resentment in marriage can grow if one of the couple puts their children consistently before their marriage. Actually, children will feel most secure when they know that the love their parents have for each other is solid. That's that's a safe place to grow up, isn't it? So if you're married with kids, that's not everyone here, but if you're married with kids, your kids will benefit if you work on your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. Now, I I do know that um, some of you here have young children and there are seasons in life that are particularly busy and hard so don't misunderstand me here there are days and times and weeks and it feels like months that need to be gritted out and endured and I'm, I'm sensitive to that we, we've got some folks here who are in that season right now but my point here is a general one don't let the busyness of life ever be an excuse for not walking with God Sometimes I wonder whether Enoch becoming a parent was actually a spur to his faith rather than a hindrance. It says in verse 22 there, after he became a dad, he walked with God. I I don't know whether the, the joy and mystery and anxiety and pleasure and all that mixed up stuff that no one can be paid for, as he became a dad, it almost caused him to look at life differently. And from that point on, He sought God in a different way. We're speculating. Secondly, another reason why Enoch Enoch might not have walked with God, he could have just followed the crowd. Uh, I've used the word blindness here because it begins with B. But what I really mean is that he's he's following the crowd. He, He could have followed the crowd. Business is one thing. Being a sheep is another There's a lot of people in this list. There's another list as well in chapter 4. And out of all these people and all these generations, only Enoch stands out as being different. 
In the New Testament, we're told that Enoch tried to speak into his generation about his relationship with God. Maybe it cost him. I don't think walking with God was any easier then than it is now. This, if you, if you go into chapter 6, you'll see what a violent, corrupt society this was. We're told in chapter 6 that it was so violent that God was grieved that he'd made mankind. So they, they, these weren't the good old days. Enoch walked with God when it seems no one else was doing it. He didn't just blindly do what most people were doing to fit in. He, he, here's a man who, in a list of other people, has the courage to be different and to walk with God in a world that doesn't prize that as a good thing. Thirdly, I've used the word beaten here. Enoch could have not walked with God because he was defeated let me explain what I mean by that. The early chapters of Genesis are tragic in so many ways. God creates an amazing and good world. God warned our first parents that if they disobeyed him, they would die. And after being tempted to think that God was somehow being mean to them, restricting them, being hard on them, Adam and Eve decided that God was not enough for them and they struck out in independence. In chapter 3, as a result of this, God pronounces curses on creation, on, on them in a sense, and, and he, he also, God also curses evil itself, which is interesting. Evil in the end will not prevail, but for the first time, these humans know guilt and shame. And as their story unfolds, there's murder and violence. As Cain kills his brother Abel, their family does not turn out to be a pleasant one in the rest of chapter 4. When we get to chapter 5, the writer says very specifically, this is the written account of Adam's family line. This is the writer's way of asking, I wonder what became of the rest of Adam's family? Most of them have been nutters so far. I wonder what became of the rest of them. <laughs> that, that, that's the point at the beginning of chapter 5. And the chapter starts so positively and optimistically. I wonder, what they, I wonder what became of them. God said there would be death. I wonder what happened to Adam. Did he die? Did he ever get back into the garden? Did he recover what they'd lost? Or did the curses get him in the end? And the chapter begins... God made people in his own image. Humans were designed to reflect the glory of God like a son reflects a father. That was the glorious plan. And it says there at the beginning of the chapter, God blessed them. At the beginning of the Bible, it says God told them to go and be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it. What happened? That's the question in chapter 5. Did the curse get them to... Well, they did multiply. Adam lived and had sons and daughters, and then he died. And then his son, Seth, lived just like his dad had done. He had sons and daughters, and then he died. And Enos, his son, lived just like his dad had done. He had sons and daughters, and then he died. In other words, this whole chapter, asking the question, whatever happened to Adam, 
it begins hopefully, but in the end, it's like the graveyards that my dad used to like exploring when we were kids. One writer comments this way, vast multitudes of people have been born, bearing the image of God, originals, all of them, so beautiful, so full of potential, but they've all been ploughed under, and the rains have washed their names from the tombstones, their bones are no more. Death spread its dark cloud over the patriarch's bright hopes, and the cycle went on and on and on, and he died, and he died, and he died. What became of Adam's family? They had the stamp of God's image on them. They were all set for fruitfulness and stability, and then they died. It's miserable. They had such potential, but they were all defeated by the curse. I wonder whether the whole point of this chapter is that Enoch wasn't defeated by the curse. Right in the middle of this graveyard, it should shock us and make us prick up our ears. Enoch walked with God and he didn't die. All the others did. It says very mysteriously that Enoch was taken by God. Now, I, I know that this doesn't happen to everyone, but I think it's written to teach us something. Another writer says this, the sense of the author here is clear. Enoch is an example of one who found life amid the curse of death, in Enoch, the author is able to show that the pronouncement of death is not the last word that need be said about a man's life. One can find life if one walks with God. For the author, then, a door is left open here for a return to the tree of life in the garden. And Enoch found that door in his walking with God. And in doing so, has become a paradigm for all who seek to find life so this chapter is saying don't be too busy don't be a sheep and don't despair Enoch walked with God and if he could do it there's hope that you can do it as well Thirdly, then, how, how do we do it? I want to say three things as we close this off. Um, I didn't put them on the program there because I didn't finish when this went to print. But you can have them now. Fill them in. Fill in the blanks. I want to say three things under this heading as well. This, this is my way of having a nine-point sermon. Just tell people you've got three and then have three sub-points. You've got nine then, haven't you? How do we do it? Walking with God. First of all, I want to touch on the importance of faith. In the New Testament, there's a little comment on Enoch's life in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 that chapter is all about faith it lists a whole series of individuals who in history had great faith in God Enoch was one of them 
maybe, maybe we can turn to it actually. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Um, we're on page 1209 1209 this is important there's a whole list of different people here but just look at verse 5 Hebrews 11 verse 5 we're told by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death and then the author says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, that is to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're told that Enoch pleased God. The writer to the Hebrews clarifies what that means. You can't please God if you don't have faith. And then the author also clarifies what that faith is. And, he, and he, he talks about two dimensions of faith. The first is to believe that God is real. And the second is to believe that God is responsive. To believe that God exists and to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, if, if we can be persuaded that either God is not real or that if he is real he's not responsive then we'll never have true faith and it'll therefore be impossible for us to please God and we'll never be able to walk with him and that is essentially what happened in the Garden of Eden isn't it Adam and Eve were persuaded that God did not have their best interests at heart they believed that he existed they believed in his reality. They didn't believe in his responsiveness. And that, that, that led them to believe, we'll be better off going our own way and looking somewhere else. This God isn't enough for us. And that involves a value judgment on their part. There's something better out there than him. And rather than trust his goodness, we're going to go our own way. So I... What, what, what that means is that every sin if, that we ever commit in our lives is rooted ultimately in a refusal to believe that God is good enough for us. But God does exist and he is good. In fact, his response to our going astray his response to us not believing that he is good is amazing he doesn't leave us in that poor state instead of condemning us he's found a way to reconcile us to himself by sending Jesus to be our saviour and so even now, this God reaches out to us and invites us and calls us to trust his goodness. And we will begin walking with God the moment we stop 
mistrusting him and start trusting him again. Secondly, uh, familiarity with God. I just want to underline this. You're you're ahead of me here. I I just want to emphasize that all of this language is pointing to the fact that Christianity is a personal relationship with God. For some people, it is really easy to be around church. It's, it's easy to know and learn Christian jargon. But it can be easy to neglect this and fail to see that relationship is at the heart of Christianity. The most important question to ask is not, are you in church, but are you walking with God don't substitute activity for this don't substitute being moral for this don't substitute keeping some kind of rules for this don't let your epitaph over your life be she went to church but he walked with God you you get the idea Faith in God, familiarity with God. Lastly, and with this, we'll close. Fuel from God. I'm very conscious of how often we hear of Christian leaders making a complete shipwreck of their lives. We, we hear of leaders who collapse with burnout or it suddenly comes to light because they're caught that they've been living a lie and there's tragic moral failure there behind the scenes. All of this is horrible when it happens. But one of the reasons that it does happen is that it is very easy to be publicly gifted and privately empty isn't it? It is so easy. I'm talking to myself. It's so easy for leaders to be publicly gifted and privately empty. The most important thing in life is character and the fuel that should drive our lives and our ministries is walking with God in secret. And if we're not doing that, all the other things we are doing don't really matter. This is crucial. God is not calling you or I to be some kind of hero. He's calling us to be his this, this is a call into relationship. And I, I don't want my epitaph to be he was this or he was that. Not, none of it means anything if that's what I'm building my identity on. What counts is whether I'm walking with God. And this is not just true for leaders, is it? 
This is true for Sam as he goes to Connorsborough. This is true for all of you as you live your lives here in Rotherham. Are you walking with God? Whatever you do, take time each day to get alone with God. To get into the Bible, to hear him speaking to your heart personally. Talk to him. Pour out your anxieties to him. And if you, if you don't know where to start with that, there's no magic formula. Talk to someone else who can help you to cultivate a relationship with God. Do not let anything get in the way of cultivating this. In the Bible, towards the end of the New Testament, there's a great promise where the writer James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Enoch walked with God. It involved friendship and purpose and great delight. He wasn't too busy. He wasn't a sheep and the curse didn't get him. And for him and for us, it begins with faith. It takes focus and time. And this is the fuel that should drive our lives as we live in this world. What a glorious epitaph to have over your life. He or she walked with God. What a glorious epitaph to have over our church. You know those people there? They walked with God. This is your new life, standing in a new identity and walking in a new relationship. We're going to sing uh, a closing song. Um, and as the musicians come up, let's bow for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We, we just thank you for the simplicity of this reminder that you call us into relationship. Lord, we so often make things more complicated than they are. Father, we pray that we would hear your call and that we, we would take seriously the, the, yeah, the, the call to walk with you in our lives. We pray that you would bless us by your word, encourage us and draw us to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.